Okay, we're also going to have the Bible reading leading into the sermon. I'm going to read from Acts 9. Acts 9, 1 to 11. If you have your Bibles there. Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananus. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, sorry, and he said, Here am I. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Good morning. Wanted to uh, make special welcome of uh, somebody who's here for the first time today, and uh, that's um, my grandson Malachi. <laughs> Although he must be in the feeding room, um, but uh, Jared and Tiff are here for uh, with Malachi for the first time. So, just thought I'd mention that. Um, it's great to um, to come together and share and allow God to speak to us through his word. Trust that uh, you've come to do just that this morning. Let's pray. Father, on this uh, international day of prayer for the persecuted church, we've thought about those who have been persecuted, we've prayed for them. But this morning we have also read of Saul and his persecution of the church And then we're going to be thinking about his conversion, of him being saved, of him then being sent to build the church. So, Lord, we we ask that you would point out to us areas where we might be a little like Saul, that you might point out to us where we might fit into into this story. And we... Ask and we invite your Holy Spirit to have your way within our lives, within our hearts, our minds. Encourage, comfort, guide, challenge, convict. Do whatever you need to do within each one of us today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So I wonder what are your expectations? And are your expectations realistic? 
None of us like the curveball. None of us like the unexpected distractions that come, the unforeseen trouble that disrupts our, our lives, disrupts perhaps our comfortable little world. Often we have unspoken expectations, unspoken in the sense of we haven't actually thought through these things that we expect, but they're still there in the back of our minds. And when they don't come through for us, we get upset. We can lead us to think that God has somehow or other let us down, these unmet expectations. For example, we might hope or expect that we will meet the perfect life's partner, get married within the next 18 months. Obviously, that doesn't apply to a lot of you. But if you're at that age and you're, you're hoping for a life's partner, we might expect that our marriage might be just wonderful. Um, I won't get a show of hands. We might expect that there'd be no complications upon the birth of our child. That might be just an unmet expectation that we haven't actually thought through very well, but it's there. There might be an, an unmet expectation, sorry, a, a, a expectation that we haven't necessarily thought through, but that for those who are older, that I'll be the first to pass away and I won't have to grieve upon the loss of my partner because I'll pass away first. We might have all kinds of expectations that we've not necessarily thought through but they're still there. And when they're undelivered, they rock our world. They cause a great deal of concern and upset and without realising it, we might begin to blame God. We might blame God for allowing these things to occur. And so we have unmet expectations. The church in the book of Acts is in its infancy and a lot of people are coming to Christ. These are really exciting times, but the church was also being persecuted. Saul was on the warpath, he's tearing families apart, he's throwing perhaps dad into prison or mum into prison, he's disrupting, he's destroying families. Christians are suffering and any expectation for a trouble-free life was well and truly dashed. But God was and God is in control. Amen? God was, God is in control. There was a time when Jesus took his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, which was on the slopes of Mount Hermon. It's known for a shrine to the Greek god Pan. There's a little arrow there that uh, is pointing to where the shrine in all of its glory used to be. It's still partly there. But it was a particularly pagan place. There are other shrines set up to other gods as well. Jesus took his disciples into this place, into this pagan place. And whilst there, he asked them a question, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
John the Baptist was one of the responses. What are the people? Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And then Peter said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. It was then that Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon this rock, upon this foundation, Upon this declaration of faith in me that I am the Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church. Now Saul, on the other hand, he's throwing all that he can against the church. Jesus has said, I will build my church regardless. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God was using circumstances where expectations were dashed. He was using people who were struggling to cope to build his kingdom. People who were unacceptable were taking the gospel into Judea, Samaria, Ethiopia. And as we'll see, people like Saul who were seeking to destroy the church becoming their greatest advocate. You see, God was... And is in control, even when it doesn't look like it. Is God in control for you, even when your circumstances or your expectations are not what you want? Is God in control? Last week, Kate showed us how God had orchestrated all of the events around the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. You'll recall how Philip was instructed to go down to the roadway through the desert and then he was instructed to walk near the chariot and how the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. Scripture doesn't tell us, but most likely the eunuch had purchased the scroll of Isaiah whilst he was in Jerusalem and he's reading it on his way home. Following his baptism... He would then come across, as Kate reminded us last week, he would then come across Isaiah 56, which would confirm in his heart that God had welcomed him, loved him, accepted him. I can only imagine how he must have just, his heart would have welled up within him as he read how God welcomed and loved the eunuch, as Isaiah 56 says. God was taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning in Africa. Now in Saul's conversion, we see that God is again, he's orchestrating all of the events such that one who was working against God fervently, God would bring him through to be a vital participant in working with him. God is in control. And he can work in even the most difficult of places or the most hardest of hearts. And Saul, to be fair, well, he was on God's side. He was on God's side. He was a religious man. He was a well-educated man who studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. It's like going to the top university and studying religion. He had a, a wonderful understanding of the Old Testament law what was required under Judaism. 
He was enthusiastic to see the promotion of Judaism. He was eradicating anything that was a threat to it. He was a Pharisee to the Pharisees. Scripture tells us elsewhere. In other words, he was quick to point out where others were failing to live according to God's holy standards. I'll tell you where you're falling down. And he saw Christianity as both wrong and deceptive. It was wrong because it claimed that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, that that doesn't fit because God is one. Therefore, it was a claim of um, heresy. It was deceptive because Christianity claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Saul would have been one who had would hold clearly with the rest of the, the Pharisees that the disciples must have stolen Jesus' body. It's nowhere to be found. But they're trying to deceive the people. Christianity was clearly leading people away from the truth. This was a false religion and it must be squashed. He was zealous. He was devoted to God as he understood God. Verse 1 from chapter 9. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, didn't matter, he would take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul had his plans and he was fighting for the glory of God. He was fighting for the glory of God. He understood what God required and he expected God to honour him for what he was seeking to do for God. His intentions were good. But he was pursuing his own plans. He was not being led by God. We too are at risk of pursuing our own plans, our own agendas, our own expectations. Sometimes we think we know what God wants. Sometimes we assume we know what God wants. But we may be pushing our own barrow uphill. For Saul, his intentions were good. But his world was turned upside down and inside out and his expectations were certainly not met. And in fact, he was walking in darkness. Verse 6, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. For three days, Saul was blind. Can you imagine his confusion? 
I thought I was doing the right thing by you, God. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. Now blind and assuming that he will never see again, was this just punishment, just punishment for his attempts to destroy the work of God, the church? Jesus was obviously alive as he appeared to him and had the power to leave him blind. And Jesus declared, Saul, you're not just persecuting people, you're persecuting me. Little wonder that he didn't eat or drink anything. And a few verses further, it tells us that he's praying for these three days. He's praying. He's fasting and praying. The Lord gave him a vision somewhere in those three days of a man named Ananias who would come and lay hands upon him and restore his sight. But for three days, he lay helpless, no doubt pondering over what had just happened and now trying to reformulate his understanding of Old Testament scripture that he thought he knew so well and trying to reconfigure and reconstruct his understanding of God. I thought I knew you, God, and what you wanted. And no doubt, too, in his mind, he went back to Stephen. And how he had stood back and he had watched on as Stephen was stoned to death and he recalled Stephen's words. I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I just saw Jesus. He'd initially classified Stephen as a blasphemer. Now he would have felt responsible for Stephen's death and how wrong he had been. And God gave Saul three days of blindness to give him time to sit and think. When we're facing trial, times of trial, that looms just too big, do we stop? Do we fast and pray? When was the last time you fast and pray because something was just so big? You see, God sometimes needs to do that with us. He steps in and he disrupts our plans and expectations so that we might stop and think. He allows an illness to slow us down. He allows complications at childbirth to throw us back upon our God to depend upon him even more. He leaves us alone when a spouse dies to encourage us to draw near to him to develop our relationship with him more deeply. Because the reality is we're never alone. God is with us. God is in control. And God can meet our needs perfectly. 
What do you do when God stops you? Do you try to get busy? Take your mind off it? Try to get busy in some other way? Or do you take time to reflect and draw near to him? He said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's then that the Lord asks his servant Ananias to go to Saul, advising him, advising Ananias that Saul has seen a vision of Ananias, laying his hands upon him and restoring his sight. Ananias, like most of us perhaps, questions God's wisdom. You can read about there in Acts chapter 9, questions God's wisdom. And perhaps too, Ananias didn't believe that Saul deserved to be saved. And probably thought, hey, thanks, God. He's the dude who's coming to take us away into prison. Thanks for giving him my name. Ananias knew that the leader of this anti-Christian hit squad had arrived, had authority to arrest any followers of the way. Was Ananias hiding in his home, not getting out and about, afraid to go out? Often we see our world through our worldly eyes and we too fail to recognise the power of God to convict, to restore and to heal. But God can do that. We see hardened hearts and don't truly believe that they'll be softened toward the Lord or that God will move how he moves best to release the captive, to break the chains We don't really believe that. And sometimes too we see the sinner and we think, yeah, they deserve hell. Ananias, however, goes to Saul, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house, he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The first words that Ananias hears, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Ananias believes in the power of God and he wants Saul to know that he is welcomed, accepted, loved and forgiven. Brother Saul. Oh, if only we were that quick to shelve the sin of the past and welcome and accept and love the sinner. And Saul demonstrates that he's fully aware of the mercy of God. That God is not giving him what he deserves. One who was persecuting the church, who was persecuting Jesus, that God's mercy is not giving him what he deserves, but 
restoring his sight. He fills him with the Holy Spirit and he grants him the opportunity to work with God. What a privilege that is. And as we've been reminded over these last few weeks, no one is any better than anybody else. We're all in desperate need of the grace and the mercy of God. But notice the power of prayer in this passage. Saul was praying. Saul was praying for three days. Ananias was praying. And as Stephen was being stoned to death, he was praying. And he was praying for those who were persecuting him. He was praying for Saul. And I wonder how many of the believers, these new believers at the time, how many of them, believers in Christ, are praying for Saul as he's working against them. Notice the power of prayer. And the persecuted church around the world today pray for those who are persecuting them. There's a real challenge there before us to join with them, to pray for those who we sense or feel are persecuting us, those who we really don't like, those who are our enemies. Are you praying for a hard heart at the moment? Who sees Christianity as both wrong and deceptive? Are you praying for the persecuted church and for those who persecute, those who are doing the persecuting? Have you been praying for a a hard heart for years? But now your faith is waning. What are your expectations? What do you expect from God today? We can take great encouragement from the fact that God saved Saul. And God didn't stop there. He took the great persecutor and made him into a great missionary. And he can do far more than we can imagine by the power of his spirit that is at work within us and through us. So keep praying, keep trusting, keep believing, keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ, regardless of whether your expectations are being met or not. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful to know that you are in control that you are working out your plan and your purposes. We thank you that you know what is best in our lives, in our circumstances. And we thank you, Father, that so often that although our expectations are not met, you never let us down. You are with us always. We thank you that you meet with us and you know just how to meet our needs perfectly. May we never wane in our faith, but may we continue to stand firm 
And may we also allow you to use us in such ways that others are drawn close to you. Help us to just find opportunities and follow the opportunities that you present before us to share our faith and to share your love. Thank you, Father, so much for your mercy that you don't give us what we deserve, that in your grace you have given us life eternal through Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God for his amazing grace.